Blog Talk Radio. Hey there. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here. Coming to you today from the home office in Portland, Maine, instead of the offices of Lives in the Balance. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Susie Porton. Susie, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Sorry to hear you're under the weather. Well, I'm a little under the weather, but neither snow nor sleet nor (laughs) whatever the expression is. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, will keep us from our appointed rounds on Parenting Your Challenging Child radio program. Um, And we have lots of folks who have sent in uh, email questions who are waiting for us to get to them. But let me, before I forget, repeat the phone number, and then are you ready for your part? Of course. Here we go. The call-in number is 347-994-2981. And then please press 1. What a team. So um, (laughs) The dream team. We uh, met some nice people. You and I were both at the training that I did in, uh, where was that, Cleveland on Friday and met some wonderful people there. Maybe some of those folks are listening to the radio program today. And, of course, I was in Indianapolis the day before, a very nice group there. This week I'm in New Jersey, two days, and next week in Florida, and then it's Thanksgiving. Um, Lots of people very interested in collaborative and proactive solutions. Um, But let's start with a very interesting email that we received not too long ago. Are you ready? Ready. Here we go. This one says, through my child's ABA program, and For those who don't know, ABA is Applied Behavioral Analysis. Uh, My son, seven years old, gets to choose from a community bin of rewards. Among some really cool things he can choose are a toy weapon, and he has. Though I expressed concern, I'm told they don't want him restricted from choosing what best motivates him when peers can choose these things. Since my child is in school for behavior and social training, I ask, is this the kind of pretend play that's really appropriate right now? And do boys need an aggressive outlet for healthy development? I thought that would be an interesting one to respond to. Shall I go first? Sure. Here we go. Um, Well, you know, I could come at this from multiple levels. Uh, But I'll answer the easy one first. Do boys need an aggressive outlet for healthy development? No. Um, Do boys need to pretend play with guns to... um, No. Do they sometimes pretend play with guns? Sure. Um, Is that a terrible thing? No, might not be ideal to have, but, you know, lots of kids pretend to play like they're using a weapon and 
fully appreciate the fact that it's pretend. Um, now to the big heart of the question. Um, will a reward, whether it is a toy, weapon, or any other um, reward that your son badly wants, going to solve the problems that are causing the behaviors that put him in that program in the first place? The answer to that one is no. Is it going to teach him the social skills that he needs that one of the reasons he's in the program either? No. So to tell you the truth, while I'm not real keen on toy guns, what I'm especially not real keen on is the belief that rewarding and or punishing is going to fix or teach much of anything. Toy guns, just like any other incentive, don't solve the problems that are causing the behaviors that put the boy in the program in the first place and don't teach the social skills that put him in the program in the first place. And so that's what I'm thinking. Susie, I bet you're thinking something, although it might be the exact same thing. Go ahead. Uh, yes, it is very similar. Just to echo what you said, that I think uh, we know that children are already motivated to do well and they don't need outside rewards uh, to do that um, and that collaborative and proactive solutions indirectly teaches the lagging skills by solving problems collaboratively and proactively. And there you have it. I had a feeling we were going to agree with each other on that one. Mm-hmm. Here's another. Um, so we'll we'll uh, we'll um, hope that mom listens to the program. But here's another one, and this one's for you. All right. Mm-hmm. This one's titled um, "Getting Started with Unwilling Husband: How to Discipline in the Meantime." Are you ready? Sure. Hello, Dr. Green, but also Susie. I am completely new to this approach to parenting as I am a product of Plan A, weren't we all? I have been through most of your website and listened to many hours of your weekly show. Good for you. I need this to work for my family. I find myself stressed out by the chaos and bickering that my home has become. I have two children, a boy age four and a girl age two. My son is very special. He's bright, loving, sweet, sensitive, gifted in observation, and a doer. My daughter is also very special. She is bright, selfless, happy, and great at communicating her needs. Both have their own ideas of how things should be, and usually they are completely opposite. My son has always been on the stubborn side, for lack of a more positive word, but he's become increasingly difficult to handle. Being physical with his sister, he cannot accept no for answer or accept an idea different from the one he has. Most of the time I can diffuse, but more frequently he has started doing things that he knows are not right. One example is he will dump out all his toys, which he knows makes me upset, then refuse to clean it up unless I issue an ultimatum, which I hate doing because I can see it eroding our relationship. Here is my major issue in question. 
My husband does not buy into this method of parenting. He was also raised plan A and feels like we have been too easy, and that's where the problems are stemming. I convinced him to give your method a try, but we bargained on three months to see results. He is going to watch the videos on the parent walkthrough, but will not read the book, and I am not sure we'll get through it in time to make the difference my husband is looking for. Is there hope that my husband will see some changes that will make him more comfortable using this method of parenting? And how do I handle unwanted behavior that is likely to arise while we work on identifying problems in the heat of the moment so my husband feels like we are at least addressing the behavior? I know we need to focus on the problems, but it is hard to change my husband's mind about anything, and I know he wants to address the behavior in the moment. I need something effective that will buy us the time we need to get rolling with Plan B. Thank you for your time and insights. Susie, you've got some experience with this. Um, yeah. I figured I'd give you a crack at it first. All right. It's very difficult when the husband and wife have different parenting philosophies. Um, my husband was very reluctant in the beginning to um, embrace the Plan B model. However, um, after seeing that what we were doing with timeouts and punishments, um, that it wasn't effective and we had no relationship with our son, um, he very slowly came around to embrace the model. But it it took time, just as it does with a child. Um, that's no disrespect intended. It's just I tried to do plan B with my husband and find out what his concerns were. Um, so I just what, also, what were some of his concerns about doing plan B just as the emailer said that we that plan A had worked quote unquote for him and that we were being too easy um, by working things out with our son but after trying the model and very, very slowly seeing some successes, um, the Plan B ball got rolling, and there was no turning back. There was no other way to to interact with our son, and then it carried over to our other children. So this is an interesting thing. Um, thank you for sharing all that. And I bet um, the knowledge that you're doing Plan B with your husband to find out what he was concerned about about doing Plan B. We might call that doing Plan B about doing Plan B. Mm -hmm. um, that's That's a good thing to know, that this is something moms and dads can talk about. This mom seems to feel like she's under a great deal of pressure to show results to her husband and has a three-month timeline to do it, or it's, um, you know, back to plan A. 
um, which would be a shame. Um, and the truth is, people tend not to be real enthusiastic about Plan B unless they're philosophically there already, unless they are seeing results with Plan B. And three months is a decent amount of time to see some results with Plan B. It is a process, so it might take longer than three months, but in terms of seeing results, um, three months will buy you some results, but let's talk about what some of those results are. Um, will it get rid of challenging behavior completely? Three months? No. Will it help um, the son talk more about what he's going through, what's getting in his way, how come he's doing the stuff he's doing? Yes. Will mom and dad start to see some headway on reducing challenging behavior in three months? Yes, if they're doing plan B well. Um, what should they be doing in the meantime? Plan B. Because here's the deal. By one approach, you're focused on behavior. By the other, you're focused on the problems that are causing those behaviors. What do you do with unwanted behavior when it occurs while you're trying to get plan B rolling? You let your son know that you are not okay with the behavior, what you were doing already. Would it be tragic if you continued using adult-imposed consequences in response to the behavior? Well, it depends on whether you're trying to prove something to your husband or actually trying to make some headway on the behavior. I'm not reading in this email that doing plan A or using adult-imposed consequences is making lots of headway on a challenging behavior. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot to be gained by continuing to do something that isn't working. And to tell you the truth, adult-imposed consequences, I find, often really have the effect of pushing the kid away, which is a little bit funky when you are trying to pull the kid closer when you're doing plan B and have him talk to you. Adult-imposed consequences do not facilitate parent-child communication. Um, so I don't know if business as usual on the behavior while you're trying to get plan B rolling is actually going to accomplish what it seems like you're hoping it will accomplish. Your husband needs to be convinced that plan B is actually going to accomplish something now. And, and a combination of A and B won't necessarily be any more convincing. What's interesting is what the data, you know, plan A and plan B have been studied in um, a few studies now in outpatient settings, also inpatient, also juvenile detention, also school, but I'll just roll with the, uh, inpatient, the outpatient studies, so this is with families. What we know is that if you're trying to improve behavior, plan B, solving problems collaboratively, work and focusing on problems, works every bit as well at reducing challenging behavior as solving problems unilaterally and using adult-imposed consequences in response to behavior, which is really a very interesting finding because um, the CPS model really isn't focused on behavior. It's focused on problems. And yet, it's improving behavior every bit as much as the approach that is primarily oriented toward focusing on behavior. So that's a very interesting finding that will probably be of great comfort to your husband. If he's looking for immediate satisfaction 
Plan B may not give immediate satisfaction, but the results of Plan B, solving the problems that are causing the behavior, will probably provide more durable satisfaction. So I get it. You're looking to buy time while you're getting rolling with Plan B. Uh, one part of this is it sounds like you feel it's going to take some time to identify the unsolved problems, when in fact it probably will only take an hour if you and your husband sit down together to get that part done. So you don't need to use Plan A to buy time to identify the unsolved problems. The most convincing thing about Plan B for your husband will be seeing it work and seeing behaviors improve through use of Plan B. Plan B buys us all kinds of things that Plan A doesn't buy us. Plan B buys you a problem-solving partner, your son. Plan B buys you information about what's getting in your son's way. Plan A doesn't do that. Plan B frequently leads to more durable solutions and ones that are mutually satisfactory. So they work a whole lot better than the unilateral variety. And Plan B teaches kids, irrespective of age, skills. Now, it could be that your son is just going through the fearsome fours because it sounds like things have gotten worse lately, but fearsome fours wouldn't stop me from using Plan B. In fact, there's not a whole lot that would stop me from doing Plan B. Susie, anything else to add that came to mind while I was talking about all that? Uh, yes. I just remember that when we were first starting out, um, it was like slogging through mud, not only with my husband, but with my son. Um, you know, as you said, it's a process and it does take time, but it takes a lot less time than explosions and meltdowns. Um, something that really helped was to make an appointment with my husband in a calm time to talk with him about the model. And lastly, uh, plan B, you not only gain an understanding of your child and or your husband, but it also builds relationships by working through these unsolved problems. Uh, let's see if we do not have any callers. Let me give the phone number again, 347-994-2981. And by the way, if you want a Twitter reminder that the program is going on the air so you remember that you want to listen or now or live or join in later, um, you can uh, sign up for the Lives in the Balance Twitter feed and get a reminder of the program. By the way, the educators program that we could not do last week because of a scheduling conflict is on the air this week today at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's move on to another unsolved problem. This is an interesting one. Uh, can you please elaborate what you mean when you mention, and, and this is a quote, and this is a quote of me, and if you've been thinking that passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contentious parenting is to blame, you'll need to do some rethinking there, too. I think that's a quote off the Lies in the Balance website. Now here's the question. Um, while a parent does, is not quite written in a way that I quite understand, while, it's, while a parent helps solve problems collaboratively, is this a scapegoat 
for parents that don't have clear and effective boundaries for children or are remiss in enforcing rules and expectations? That's the question. Shall I take a stab at that one? Yes. There's uh, no scapegoating in this model. Um, Parents do get blamed in other models for their children's challenging behavior, but not in this one. And what parents do get blamed for in other models is exactly what it says in this email. Parents are blamed for not having clear and effective boundaries and for not being um, for not enforcing rules and expectations. Um, that's what parents get blamed for. And so one of the most common things that we've been saying about parents for a very long time is that they are the reason that their child is behaviorally challenging. And um, I used to believe that, but that was a very long time ago. But then, as I always say, I noticed a few very important things. First, that the vast majority of parents who had a behaviorally challenging kid had other children in their home who were well-behaved. I also noticed, and so, you know, are they only being passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent, not having clear and effective boundaries, not enforcing rules and expectations with the behaviorally challenging kids? No. So that got me thinking, there must be something about the behaviorally challenging kid that's making it difficult for that kid to respond the way other kids do to clear and effective boundaries and to the enforcement of rules and expectations. So it actually hasn't been my observation that the vast majority of behaviorally challenging kids uh, have adults in their lives who are not trying to enforce expectations. And to tell you the truth, the research that has accumulated over the last 40 to 50 years on behaviorally challenging kids doesn't tell us that either. What it does tell us is that they're lacking skills. And that's why thinking that it's passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent parenting and scapegoating parents does require some rethinking because what the research tells us is the behaviorally challenging kids are lacking skills. It does not tell us that they are unmotivated. Um, And, of course, the ultimate study on their passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent parents hasn't been done. A lot of parents in the face of a kid is behaviorally challenging do reduce expectations and do back off more because they have found that um, keeping the expectations the same and fighting with their kid, um, they'd rather capitulate than fight. But the reality is they don't have to capitulate or fight. Those are not the only options. And, And for a long time, people have been thinking that those are the only two options. If you have an expectation that you want your child to meet and he's having difficulty meeting it, either capitulate or fight. But um, there's a third option called plan B. And that's not capitulating. That's collaborating. That's not adversarial. That's partnering. That's saying there must be some good reasons that my kid is having difficulty meeting expectations and there must be some good reasons that my clear and effective boundaries and enforcement of rules and expectations isn't helping this kid meet my expectations and is only causing a great deal of conflict. And that reason is that my kid is lacking some very important 
skills that are making it hard for him or her to meet those expectations and has some concerns about those expectations, about what's getting in the way of meeting them, that me simply having clear and effective boundaries and enforcing rules and expectations isn't helping me know about. Enter plan B. Plan B is going to help you know about it. That's called the empathy step. Plan B is going to help your kid understand your concerns and why you have those boundaries and expectations. And plan B, that's called the define adult concern step, and plan B is going to help you and your kid or any caregiver and any kid solve problems together in a way that helps adults get their expectations met or at least helps them modify them in response to what they're learning from the kid about what's hard. Being a good parent is not just about having clear and effective boundaries and not just about enforcing rules and expectations. Being a good parent means being responsive to the hand you've been dealt. And those boundaries and those expectations don't really give you that information. And for us to be responsive to the hand we've been dealt, we need info and we need a partner. Who are we going to get that info from and who's our partner? The kid. Susie, I bet you have some thoughts on that as well. Well, this was my original situation um, that I was blamed for not enforcing rules and expectations, and I felt terrible about it. I was scolded by our by our first therapist, and it was incredibly depressing, and I was just devastated. Um, I'm sort of a soft-spoken person, um, pretty easygoing, and um, CPS provided me with a framework to learn skills that I needed to become the kind of parent that I wanted to be. That's why it's so important to find someone whose approach makes sense and and who understands. Susie, we have a caller. Great. It might be a repeat caller. We're about to find out. Area code 937, you're on the air. What's up today? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, actually, my wife has called in, and uh, I promised her that I'd, I'd listen to this approach. Uh, I'm the product of a wooden spoon plan A, I guess you could say. Uh, and uh, I lived in fear of my mom and not meeting her expectations. So this is a complete 180 for me. Um, so I guess what I need help with is implementation. So, you know, when do we do the family meeting versus one-on-one? -on -one? Um, and actually the number one issue in our family um, is we are late. And when you are late and your kid is dragging their feet, um, it gets really hard. So I was wondering if you had any words of wisdom there. Got it. Well, first of all, good for you for calling in and good for you for trying this on for size. Um, you deserve kudos just for that. In answer to your first question, implementation. You do family meetings on problems that are affecting the entire family. You do individual plan B 
for problems that are really specific to a particular individual. So if one family member in particular is having difficulty being on time for XYZ activity, it's really only one person, you would do plan B with that one person. If this is a family problem, I could see doing a family member and doing plan B with the entire family to flesh out uh, what's getting in the way of us being on time for XYZ activity. And uh, once you know what those concerns are, what can we do to try to address those concerns? Because you have concerns about being late, and um, you'll have to express those in a defined adult concern step. And then everybody's got their concerns on the table, and the goal is to try to come up with a solution that addresses those concerns. And then if the solution works, you're not late for XYZ activities anymore. And so that's kind of how it all works. Um, is it the entire family that's having trouble being late, or is it one family member in particular? Well, I, I think it's a, a combination of things, uh, but it does seem like our son tends to view the we are late as a button to push. Like, you know, if I drag my feet enough, I can really get under their skin. So maybe that's a perception problem with us, but he certainly seems to enjoy – pushing the button of chaos, if you will. Well, and that may be a perception thing. You're, you're not going to hear button pushing or getting under skin as the primary motivation for much of anything in this model. Um, my bet is that there are expectations your son is not having difficulty meeting. In fact, most kids even those who are behaviorally challenging are meeting a whole lot more expectations than they're not meeting. Would you say that that's true about your son? Um, he's a phenomenal student. Um, he, he is a joy to be around when he's getting what he wants. But I, I, it is hard for me as a father and a husband to see him strike his sister and strike his mom. That to me is completely unacceptable. And that's the part that's really hard as a dad because it's like, okay, that's a line we do not cross. You're not you're not welcome as part of this family if that's the way you're going to behave. That's the normal in my mind, quote unquote, normal response is that's not okay. So I guess I need help with effective interruption in that type of a situation and effective follow up. Got it. So you're raising some very good points that people who are new to the model frequently raise. Um, there's no doubt him hitting his sibling or him hitting his mom is not okay. And so your reaction to that is spot on. Hitting in your family is not okay. But hitting is what I call downstream. Hitting is what happens after something else has happened. And that something else is usually a problem that hasn't been solved yet. And so one of the most important parts of this model is figuring out what problems, I call them unsolved problems, we can also call them unmet expectations, are causing your son to end up way downstream here, hitting his sibling or hitting your wife. Those are the problems that need to be solved so that hitting doesn't occur. Here's the interesting thing. 
my bet, we don't know each other, of course, but my bet is that you've already let your son know hitting's not okay in your family. You disapprove strongly. My bet is that you've already said to him you are not welcome as a family member in this family if you continue hitting people. That's just not okay. So the good news is he's crystal clear on the fact that it's not okay. And yet we still have to answer the question, then why is he still doing it? And you've told me something about your son that is positive, a few things. He's a very good student, and under certain conditions, he's a joy to be around. Why isn't he trying to get under people's skin then, too? So this is the interesting thing. If he's taking great joy in getting under people's skin and pushing people's buttons, wouldn't he be doing that when he's being a student? And wouldn't he be doing that a good part of the time when he's with family members? Because getting under his other people's skin and pushing their buttons is giving him great joy. And the interesting thing is, way, way, way back in the day when I would hear those explanations, they made some sense to me. But then they stopped making sense to me. And what started making more sense to me is that he's not getting joy out of pushing buttons because he's not pushing buttons all the time. He's not getting joy in getting under people's skin. He's not trying to get under people's skin all the time. There's actually lots of expectations that he's having difficulty meeting. Why is he having difficulty meeting the expectations that he's having difficulty meeting? And that's when I started paying a whole lot closer attention to the research on behaviorally challenging kids. And what it tells us is that they are lacking skills to handle certain demands and expectations. And then what I started noticing is that getting mad, um, setting limits even harder, um, saying you're not welcome as a member of this family didn't really stop the behavior and definitely didn't solve the problems that were causing the behavior. And so that's why some of the things you're saying today as a person who's new to the model, which are traditional things to be said about a behaviorally challenging kid, are things I haven't said for a very long time because I've found them to not be true. What we need most is to collaborate with your son on solving the problems that are causing the behaviors that we don't like. And in the example that you gave, hitting. And hitting is a big deal. You don't want your son hitting your wife or his sibling. The question is, are we going to go after hitting directly through the front door, which probably hasn't worked so well so far, or are we going to go through the back door and figure out what problems are causing the hitting and start engaging with your son as a partner in getting those problems solved? And I know I've been a little long-winded here, but just one more thing before you respond. Here's one thing I can guarantee. When the problems that are causing the hitting are solved, the hitting won't occur in response to those problems anymore because it's only unsolved problems that cause hitting. Solved problems don't cause hitting. So you're getting quite a dose here of the model. What do you think? Well, let me give you a specific example, and maybe this can kind of guide our discussion a little bit further. So Great. Our son knows that balls don't go 
above his head in the house, and he also knows running in the house is not okay. But if he sees his two-year-old starting to do it, he'll start chasing her. And even though I say that's not okay in the house, it continues to happen. And so it's almost like, okay, I can't do it, but my two-year-old sister doesn't know any better, so I'm going to get her to do it. She starts running around the house, and then eventually he decides to just trip her out of nowhere. So I'm struggling with the response to that because I see the buildup. I've interrupted him saying that he hasn't met the expectation of, of, of house Well, I guess I'm not supposed to say rules. I'm supposed to say my expectations. That's, that's so semantics, I, but keep going. Yeah, how do I, one, protect the two-year-old, but two, how do I backdoor that situation? Got it. Well, and, and by the way, backdoor is not so terrible, but the first thing you got to do is word it. Um, I don't know if your wife has showed you the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, but what you need first is Oh, yeah. Is oh, a yeah. List. She's throwing it at me and my eyes glazed over, but uh, I'll, I'll try to get <laughs> Well, you need, you need the list because the list is all of the expectations your son is having difficulty meeting. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the interesting thing. He's, he's having difficult. You wouldn't have a list if your current method of setting limits was working. The reason you have a list, and, you know, I don't know how long that list is going to be, but I now know that there's at least one thing on it, difficulty playing safely with little sister in the yeah. house. That's a great yeah. unsolved problem, right? Okay. But if you have a list, all that proves is that your current method of setting limits isn't getting the job done. If it was, you wouldn't have a list, right? So you need yeah. a list because the list is going to help you know all the expectations he's having difficulty meeting. That's a good thing to know. And the list is going to help you know the prioritize. You've got to do some triage here because you're not going to be able to solve all those problems all at once. You've got to pick, the import- you've got to pick some priorities first, two or three. So let's say you've decided that, um, and maybe with your son's input, there's no crime in having your son help you decide what the priority unsolved problems are. It's actually a pretty good way of helping engage him in the problem-solving process. But let's say that by one method or another, you and your wife decide that difficulty playing safely with your sister in the house is a high-priority unsolved problem. What you do, and by the way, this is all proactive. One of the advantages of getting that list of unsolved problems, even if it's making your eyes glaze over, is because it helps make the entire process proactive. The last thing you want to do is be intervening emergently most of the time. And while you may need to intervene emergently some of the time, just because on some of the problems that you haven't gotten to yet, the best way to solve a problem is in a planned, proactive fashion. So now we have an unsolved problem. Hard, hard to solve problems that we don't know what they are, but now we have some. Here's one difficulty playing safely with sister in the house. And now what we're, what's about to happen is you're about to probably find out that many of the things you've been thinking are the primary motivations besides your, behind your husband's behavior weren't true. One of the great things about this model is that when we start gathering information from kids in the empathy step of plan B, we find that a lot of what we've been thinking and saying about them 
um, button pushing, testing limits, um, getting under skin weren't true. And this is where many adults have most of their jaw-dropping moments, as I call them. As they're listening to their child tell them what's really getting in the way of playing safely in the house with sister, not only do they find that what they were thinking all along probably wasn't true, but they also get the information they need to actually get the problem solved. We don't know what your son's going to say, but I have an invitation for you. And we can keep going here, but I do have an invitation for you. Okay. Do plan B with your son on that unsolved problem this week. Take a good time. You and your wife do it together. Go in with an open mind. Use the drilling cheat sheet in the paperwork section on the Lives in the Balance website to guide your questions. Watch some of the videos of Plan B being done in the walking tour for parents so you have a real good sense about what it's supposed to look like and call in next week and tell us how it went. Will do. But tell us any other reactions that you had. And, you know, Su uh, Susie can probably respond a little bit here too because um, she was, um, don't take this the wrong way, but she was once your wife. <laughs> in other words, she, and I don't mean in another life, but her situation was similar to yours. Right. Um, she wanted to get Plan B going in her household. She had a reluctant participant. Susie, any sage words for our dad here? And dad, I'm not kidding. Do, there's no, nothing's going to help you become convinced, just like one of the emails that we talked about today. Nothing's more convincing about Plan B than doing it. We could talk philosophy all day. We could talk about what we think your son's motivations are all day. Nothing is as convincing as actually doing it. So I do hope you'll do that. But Susie, any safe words? Um, hitting was a terrible problem in our house. Um, but what helped was what came, understanding what came before the hitting. And very, very slowly we taught our son a vocabulary to express his frustration. We also uh, taught him to remove himself, to go to a quiet, safe place in our house and quiet himself down. Um, that was uh, very helpful for our family. Um, and just the children do well if they can um, to get the right lenses on and you want to set things up so you can start helping him. By Dad, what solving. do you think? I I think it sounds like a plan. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm kind of in a sales role, so the idea of connection, empathy, and authenticity is a big deal, you know, in what I do. Um, so in some ways, you know, going to the wooden spoon philosophy is somewhat hypocritical to how I'm living my professional life. So I think it's worth trying. Well, and you know what they say, I, I, you know, I've talked with people in sales, you don't have to go with the customers always, you don't have to go with the customers always right. Um, this is more collaborative than that. But as you know in sales, when you're trying to sell something to somebody, you've got to find out where they're coming from. You've got to find out what's going on with them. You've got to find out, in the case of selling a product, uh, what it is that's your hook for them to be enthusiastic about buying your product. The good news about 
plan B is you're not selling anything. Uh, not, not that selling anything is a bad thing, but what you are doing is you're trying to solve something. Um, yep. And the truth is I know many people in sales who their best approach to selling is that they're trying to solve a problem that the uh, person that they're trying to sell something to has. Um, I think your uh, demeanor as a salesperson is going to serve you well in plan B. And um, my bet is that you haven't taken the wooden spoon with you on a sales trip for quite some time. <laughs> That's correct. Wouldn't be too convincing. So I can't wait to hear from you next week. Please give it a whirl this week, and then we'll help you troubleshoot anything that went wrong this week. Don't give up after one, but um, call in next week and let us know how it went. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, guys. Take care. Take Thanks care. for calling. Susie, we are done for the day. That was a great call, and yes, I can't wait was. to hear from Dad next week. Yep. All right. Feel better. Take care. Talk to you next week.